You Can Mentor is a podcast about the power of building relationships with kids from hard places in the name of Jesus. Every episode will help you overcome common mentoring obstacles and give you the confidence you need to invest in the lives of others. You Can Mentor. Hey mentors, just a reminder about the You Can Mentor book. It's titled You Can Mentor, How to Impact Your Community, Fulfill the Great Commission and Break Generational Curses. The whole point of this book is to equip and encourage mentors with new tools and ideas on how to make the most of their mentor-mentee relationship. If you're a mentor, hey, go pick it up. And if you're a mentoring organization, pick some up for all of your mentors. If you would like to order mass copies, like more than 20, send an email to me, zach at youcanmentor.com, and we will get you guys a special price. But go and pick up that book. It's good. You Can Mentor. Hello, You Can Mentor listener. This is John, and I'm so excited about this episode of Unsung Heroes because I get the chance to sit down with Mike Herrera. Mike is the lead singer and bass player of the band MXPX. He is also the bass player for Goldfinger. He is also the host of his own successful podcast named after himself that you should absolutely check out. So the cool thing about this particular episode with our Unsung Hero series is that we get the chance to sit down with someone of influence, someone who gets listened to, someone who leads others, and we get the chance to really just kind of ask them, who is it in your life that mentored you? Who invested in you? Who is someone we've never heard about? And honestly, we probably never would hear about, except for the fact that they made an incredible impression on your life. And then give that person the chance to share, just as Mike is going to share here in a few moments. And so, we do this, you guys, for you to understand that, yes, we all love our rock stars, and we all love our successful leaders. We all love our athletes and our artists, but so often it is the work of those who invest in these people that make it possible for them to go on and do great things. And so mentors, you are doing the work that does not often get recognized because you know what? It's farming. It's day to day. It's hour to hour. And there may not be a lot of fanfare, but you are doing a great work. And you are, as you invest in others, you are giving them a chance to understand just how valuable they are and that they can have the encouragement and the courage to go on and do great things. And so without further ado, let's jump into our conversation with Mike. Okay, Mike, you, you used to skate. Oh yeah, I used to skate all the time. Tell me, I always love everybody's like how you started, why you started, like what was it, man? Sometimes it's a video, sometimes it's just, you know, your buddy across the street, like what was it for you and when? That's, a, yeah, and it was... Well, skateboarding was kind of popular, I guess. It was like the 80s. So maybe, yeah, it was the late 80s for me. Okay. And I just always wanted a skateboard just from seeing people with skateboards. I don't remember like, it's all blurry, like exactly when I started, but I got a sidewalk surfer, like a plastic surfboard shaped skateboard with like the old wheels. What do they call it? What, what are those? Yeah, man, like like polyurethane. I mean, like, urethane, yeah, yeah, polyurethane. That's exactly what I was going for. For sure. So it was just like this little tiny tail, mm-hmm. but I just cruised around on that thing, tick, 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 back and forth in the basement of my uncle's, you know, my uncle's house on vacation. You know, I, I took that skateboard everywhere. Okay. And so I really knew how to ride it 
before I ever got a real skateboard. Okay. okay. So after that, I was like, okay, I'm ready for a skateboard. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, mom, mom, can I get a skateboard? And ended up getting a Nash skateboard from like where Kmart. Yeah, man, they for sure. Those things. And that thing was pretty janky, but I rode it for, you know, a couple months. Okay. And, and then a friend of mine sold me his Rob Roscob. All right. And it was a used skateboard, but it was like the best thing I'd ever ridden. You oh know? yeah. It was like so nice. And, and from there it was just, I was a skater. You know, I listened to yeah. suicidal tendencies. You know, I wanted to listen to like, what are, what's skating music? And I didn't know what punk rock was. I didn't, I didn't have any interest in becoming a musician at that point. I was still a little kid. Okay. I went to this local skate like demo okay. and contest and I had been skating a little while. So I thought I was like, okay, I'm going to enter. And I entered the contest <laughs> and quickly realized I was not ready oh, because yeah. I just panicked. And what I did was I just skated around as fast as I could and tried to ollie off ramps and kept bail, you know, kept falling off the skateboard. This was a parking lot. Yeah, it was, a, it was a flat, a okay. flat skate. Yeah. yeah um, who, there was a, a freestyle skater. One of the big Rodney Mullins yeah. was there. He was okay. the pro that came, you know, cause he usually skate a skate demo or a skate contest. They'll try to get one pro or yeah. a couple pros. Yeah. Get the people out. Was this Bremerton? This is Silverdale, which is next to Bremerton. It's okay. like connected to Bremerton. Okay. It's like a suburb. And that's where I went to high school. So okay. right down in the same, the very same parking lot that I did the skate contest in later, years later, MXPX was headlining shows at this like community center right and got, on. you know, made it quite a big mark on the, the local scene yeah. playing shows there. So, but skateboarding really is probably a big reason why I got into punk rock, harder music, right. being more independent. You know, it's funny, this, I just got reminded of a story. My love of skateboarding really, really solidified in, I want to say it was fifth grade. I had a girlfriend, a new girlfriend, and, and she was probably like my second girlfriend ever. So her name was Brandy. And she called me up one day and said, hey, my parents are out of town. <laughs> and she lived like four miles from my house. I'm like, all right, I'll be there. And I skateboarded on rural, like no sidewalk roads, you know, for four miles. Oh, by the time I got there, my legs were not like just numb. Yeah. Just the vibration just wore it out. But fueled by the love for Brandy. Yeah, yeah. So like I was like, I love skateboarding. It can get me and right. it can take me places. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Which man, that's interesting. You know, like it certainly is one of the things that might get you started. Like it's always friends, you know, or maybe that's the culture that you that you identify with, you know, that rebellious spirit. Though when you when you stop skating, you know, usually when I'll ask a guy like, Okay, so what made you stop skating? And it's like girls <laughs> driving. And, you know, like a job, yeah, right? Because yeah. you're right, man. Before you can drive, dude, that board, like, is how you're getting where you're going to go. And yet, you know, once you get the wheels, yeah. man, forget it. Skating a lot of times. Even because I remember, man, days spent, like, skating to the spot was just as fun as when you got there to skate, right? Because, you know, you might take three hours to get to a spot and then three hours back. But then when you drive the spot, it just, it's a different, it's a different thing altogether. It is a different sure. thing, yeah. Well, you know, back when I started, there wasn't, a ton of skate ramps everywhere. There was a a few, I remember seeing a skate ramp and it was somebody's private skate ramp, but it was out where you could see if you were on the freeway in this section, you could see the skate ramp. And every time I'd just stare at it and just be like, Oh, like a backyard ramp. Yeah. Backyard ramp. Somebody's backyard. Never saw anybody skating it ever. Okay. And and so my thought is always like, man, if I had that, I'd be out there every day, which everybody thinks that, right. (laughs) You realize eh, maybe not dude right now (laughs) as a 48 year old skateboarder, like I have a ramp, you know, 10 feet away from us right now. Yeah. And dude, 
it's not getting ridden as much as it should, man. So yeah, that's totally it. But I, I remember too, man, growing up, like you always knew the kids who had ramps because they could rip on their ramp, you know, like they skated their ramp just flawlessly. So it's always funny like to go to a contest and be like, yeah, that, that kid's got a ramp in his backyard yeah. for sure. Oh, dude, that's so funny. So growing up in Bremerton, is it right to say? Yeah. Bremerton, really Washington. Where you're from. Mm-hmm. So dude, you were like just a few hours away from Burnside Skate Park. Did you ever yeah, go to Burnside? I did. I okay. did. Went to Burnside, was ill-prepared. Yes. Because it is, one, intimidating. And there's, it's the classic, you show up, we're like these little kids from out of town and like all the locals are there just ripping the place yeah. apart. And watching that is inspires. it's inspiring, but it's also just so devastating to your, your ego. <laughs> and you're, yeah. <laughs> you're like, okay, I'm going to leave. For sure. <laughs> was the, was the vibe cool or, or was there some attitude of like, was it, were, were there people there making it known that like, Hey, we know you're not local. Was there a local it, scene? I, I mean, I didn't really even try to, I mean, we skated a little bit, but I didn't try to like interact with anybody or talk right. to anybody. We didn't stay there like all day, just like a couple hours. Okay. And I'm sure that we thought that that was the case. That was going to be the case. But nobody actually like, said anything to us. That's that's cool. Okay. Yeah. So no yeah. one threw a board at you or anything. No, 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 no. Because dude, I've I've straight up been at Venice, like at the skate park there. They have a really good, you know, at this day and age, they have a really nice like public park. And dude, those locals, there's some that are so serious, man. They will straight up like throw their board down the bowl as you're riding, just to let it be known that they're not as excited right. for you to be there as you are. So I skated Burnside one time because, man, here I am like a Texas skater, you know, growing up and seeing this place that was a gorilla built, right? A DIY park. Yeah. Meaning that locals just kind of started pouring concrete. And I'm with you, man. That that park is gnarly. Like, it's it's got a cool scene, but also just like when I wrote it, which is over 20 years ago now, it was just some sketchy spart- parts, you know what I mean? Like, and mm-hmm. some spots that are just like, man, this is not the smoothest concrete I've ever ridden. And I happened to go like, and I had pneumonia at the time. And so... I did not have a lot of energy, but it really didn't matter because it was Burnside and it was just like bucket list place to skate, you know? So I skated it not great, but it was still, it was still Burnside. And I just love that. You feel that energy, man. Even when I was there with just a few other people skating, you know, it's just like, man, this place is really special. It's really cool. Yeah. I tried to up my game after that. Like, like we have a Silverdale skate park that, that was built probably, probably towards the end of when I was, you know, kind of tapering off my skateboarding, but Still, I skated it plenty. It was there was a bowl, there was a spine, and, and some like sort of like half square, a square bowl mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I learned, I like taught myself to do spine transfers okay. on that. And I'm not talking like it wasn't like a full twelve feet. It was like maybe a, a three or four foot yeah, spine, a mini. And that was taxing. You mm-hmm. know, like just I remember going, okay, this is what pros do. They do this over and over until they feel comfortable and they can land the trick. And I just, I just remember going, there's no way I'm ever going to be, be a, you know, a pro. Cause you know, when you start anything and you start playing baseball, when you're a kid, you start playing, you know, you start skateboarding you think, okay, I'm on my way. Yeah. I'm going to be a pro. Yeah. Skate basketball. Same thing. I thought I was going to be a pro basketball player right. someday, but it didn't work out. <laughs> it's not too late, dude. I know. I was still working. Yeah. There, we're going to find a senior league here in Waco before you go. <laughs> All right, dude. So switching gears a little bit. Yeah. You're a middle child. I am. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got. Okay, so you've got two siblings? Yeah, two sisters, older, right. younger, obviously. So and that's interesting. It's the same setup that I've got with my kids, all right? Daughter first, son, daughter. And I always really like that component of like, you know, my son being raised by my daughter and like that, just kind of that overall atmosphere to our home, you know? How was that 
how did that kind of like shape your childhood? Like having an older sister, you know, no brothers. So it wasn't like a super testosterone family. Right. So how was it being kind of the middle kid and and having sisters? You know, I think the main thing that I really learned from, from all that is being able to work by myself, being able to work alone, being comfortable being alone, which is funny because my wife says, Oh, you, you don't like to be alone. I'm Mm -hmm. like, what? I do kind of like to be alone. (laughs) But, so your uh, sisters left you alone. Yeah, yeah, you know, a lot. Like I, I had, my bedroom was, at first, when we were young, young, my older sister and I shared a room. But when we moved out of that place into the place where my parents still are now, I had my own room that was on the other side of the house from everybody. I had a, a, one of those big, giant, jumbo Nerf basketball hoops on my door. I would just like, my, my room was my sanctuary. And, and I, looking back on, on my career in music and, and touring, and I can kind of see how I've made everywhere I go kind of like my room back, back at home, like my, my little sanctuary. So whether it's my studio, you know, in my adult life, having a studio where I can go and just be alone and work or being out on tour, being in a bus, you have your bunk and yeah. that's like your little apartment. It's like your dwelling, your hole, your honey hole, whatever yeah. it is. And it's a place that you can just go and be alone and decompress. And I, I see that with my son too. Mm. When he was younger, he's five now, but when he was younger, he would go like, I need a break. And he would go into his crib and just hang out in his crib by himself for like an hour. And then he'd be ready to come out and play again. I'm like, that's, I wonder if that's like exactly what I did when I was a kid. But I really feel like being the middle child helped me just figure out what I wanted to do on my own. Cool. Yeah. Nice, man. A lot of times too, like with us, my wife's the same way, like we're the middle kids. So we're kind of like the, you kind of watch your older sibling, like make all the mistakes, you know, and you kind of sure. fly under the radar and you're just like, <laughs> Hey man, I just want to be like the peacemaker, make sure everything, everybody's cool. I want to be cool with everybody. Everybody's cool with me. <laughs> all right, man. So this is interesting. It was cool to know that like you started skating before music kind of got your heart, but when did you really kind of get it, start getting infected with music? I mean, was it these skate bands that you were listening to? Was this where you kind of got the power of it and of connecting with it? And then that then kind of made you want to learn how it's made and create it yourself? Or how did that hmm. come about? I think music came about from, not even from skateboarding, because I got, I was into skateboarding elementary school through junior high. But then in junior high, you know, I was, I had some new friends, some friends that listened to like more pop style music. And so I got out of the social, sorry, not social distortion. Although they were a band that I was kind of aware of, I went and saw them. I didn't see them play. I went into a, a, a skate demo in Seattle where a bunch of pros were at. Rob Roscoff yeah. was there again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve Caballero was there. Watched them skate. Didn't even know who social distortion was. Okay. I was a little kid. It was, they were going on too late. They were going on at last. Okay. And so like I had to go home. Yeah. I, I had like a chaperone, like a friend of my sister's brought me to the thing. So anyway, like I didn't really know I didn't know what punk rock was. Like I said, like I listened to social suicidal tendencies yeah. and a few other thrash type bands only literally because I thought that that's what skateboarders listen to. Yeah. And so into junior high, still skateboarding a little bit, but got into, you know, sports, got into social things and got into like rap and hip hop and pop. And so kind of put us like at, at our, at our place in history right then. That That's Pardon junior me. high. Like yeah. top forties. Like, is this going to be like, or is it, is it like, NWA at the time, or is it a little bit? Yeah, okay. NWA definitely um, listened to some songs that have some less than stellar messages. But I'm trying to think of what's that joy and pain, joy and pain, like sunshine and rain. I remember going to a party, yeah, like a, a kid party. It was like uh-huh, a junior uh-huh. party, and they were playing this song. I was like, I know this song, <laughs> <laughs> but I, but that's all like that 
era of of life was all due to my best friend. My best friend Malo okay. at the time was very much just like knew nothing about skateboarding or punk rock. Yeah, was into dancing, and so like I would go to his house and he would try to teach me dances and stuff. Whoa. Well, like, wait, is this break dancing? No, no, like just R and B dancing. Like, you would go to a dance and dance on the dance floor at the club. Okay, so like you know, whatever. So, moves. I mean, is it like Belle Biv DeVoe that's going on? Absolutely. Okay. Belle Biv De- yeah, yeah, yeah. Belle Biv DeVoe. What's that song they had? Poison. Poison. That was like those jams. That was my jam. That that's exactly what I'm talking about. And and then a little bit, like maybe a year later, and this was probably like right in the middle of junior high, seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade. I discovered punk rock okay. again, like for real, and got. I think I was skateboarding the whole time, just like, you know, like kids do or whatever. Yeah. But but now I got back into punk rock, into skateboarding because of friends. Okay. You know, my friend Don K brought Social Distortion. I'm like, oh yeah, this band that it all kind of like connected. Yeah. He was into the Ramones. He was into Metallica. So it wasn't just punk rock. It was punk and metal and, okay. you know, Guns and Roses, that kind yeah. of stuff. So back into the bands and guitar music. So that was ninth grade. That's when I went full on skater kid started growing out my hair i wrestled you know we can talk about mentors one of my mentors was was, was my dad he got me into wrestling early as a kid okay. and i started wrestling through through elementary school got really good at it were there school programs or were there like after school like little league kind of for wrestling little league was not school it was it was just like pee- right. peewees for baseball okay it's not part of school so he was an assistant coach because, you know, he, he was going to be an assistant coach because I was going to be in it. So he did it while I was a wrestler. For wrestling. For wrestling. Okay, got you. And so I was doing wrestling through junior high as well. Okay. And so ninth grade, wrestling, it's like my sort of last year in junior high. I was doing really well as a wrestler. Okay. And at the same time, getting into punk rock, getting into being in bands. And in a lot of ways, you know, that 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 year, ninth grade, really changed my whole life trajectory. That was kind of a hinge year for that you. That was a hinge, okay. yeah. Because I could have just kind of gone, gone on and did my little dances on the dance floor <laughs> and, and did whatever I, whatever I was going to do yeah, with life. Man. But ninth grade, like it made me, I, I basically quit wrestling after that. Like I was like going into tenth grade, which is high school. All the coaches wanted. They were like looking at the the few people that were like good wrestlers. Yeah, and I was one of them. And so they were like trying to recruit me, make sure that I was going to be on the team. And I was like, no, I don't think I'm going to do any sports. Okay. And they're just like, what, why you're, you're like, you're going almost going to state here. And like, you know, so I was doing pretty well, but for me, once I got into music, that's all I cared about. Right. And, and I just music the whole way. And of course, skateboarding was something that I did along with music. It wasn't anything I, I did because I thought I was going to be pro. And now to think of it, like, I don't know that I thought I was going to be a pro rock star or anything, but like I said, like most things in life, when I first discover them, I thought to myself, oh yeah, I'll be a pro basketball player. I'll be yeah. a pro baseball player. Whatever it is, I'll be a pro. I think that's just like the inclination all of us have. That's why we have dreams. That's why we have hopes. And For sure. It keeps us motivated to move forward. Now, if we all knew that the chances of getting into the NBA or getting into, you know, you know, getting your own pro deck, you know, it's, it's not that high, right? But it's also not that important to know those stats because yeah. the only thing it does is, is quell your thirst, quell your fire, you know, quenches yeah. your fire or whatever. And so I, I honestly, I think the, the, the crux to my success in life has been ignorance. Ignorance in not realizing how long of a shot it is to, <laughs> to be successful at music, to be successful, whatever it is I'm doing. Yeah. 
So like that paralysis by overanalysis kind of thing, I think is really true, isn't it? Because it is. honestly, when you think about anything that you go out to try to do, you're probably going to stop yourself in your tracks, you know, whether it's the numbers or for whatever. But that's the beauty, I think, of being like a creative is that, or, you know, an athlete or really whatever you're passionate about, it's that it's really not about all these external things, but instead like just the, the connection that you have, right? So... So my Carrera picks up a guitar. Is that it? Did you pick up an acoustic? Well, it was an acoustic guitar. It was a. It was my mom's. It, growing up, my mom had this nylon string acoustic, which is like what you'd see flamenco players, yeah. mariachi players use. So it wasn't a rock and roll acoustic. You know, it was very traditional. But it was always in the corner. And when I was when I could crawl, I'd crawl up to it and just mm-hmm. just hit the strings and make noise. You know, and and in my mind, growing up, I never thought, oh, someday I'll be able to play that. I always just thought. Oh, that's that cool thing my mom has. And I never really saw her play it either. So maybe that's why I never thought I could play it, right? Yeah. And so that going through my my head, and then my uncle played guitar a little bit, but I hardly ever saw him play. My uncle was, I mean, we, we'd go see them like once a year you okay. know, or whatever. And Is this the basement you guys get in? In the basement, yeah. Eastern Washington. So my uncle was, uh, going over there was like going to the country because they lived in a log house. It had power and it had like, you know, water and all that, but it was made out of logs. And it was out in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, it was like a two horse town. But so like going there, it was like, oh, well, we have, we have telephones and we have TV. Like they didn't even have TV, okay. you know? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it was like a, a treat kind of in a weird way to go out there and like just live differently. Yeah. But once I started picking up that traditional guitar at my mom's house, which was, I would say ninth grade, I probably picked it up, tried to play a little bit. And the... I was into the bass guitar. So we can just go into this because my, my sure. mom's another, probably one of the biggest mentors, you know, that I've had. Mm-hmm. But once I got into music, I was a singer. I was always a singer. I thought I was, right? I was in choir. Yeah. Sang some solos here and there. But once I, I got together with my buddy Don that showed me Social Distortion, the Ramones, we started trying to play together. And I was just like, I'll just sing, you know? So I was like yeah. singing and, and realized... I'm not going to be able to like really control what's going on here if I don't know how to play. And I, I quickly kind of realized that. And, and so I started picking up that nylon guitar and messing with it. And my mom said, you know, when I was interested in, in playing the bass guitar, she said, well, you know, Sting plays the bass and sings, sing from the yeah. police, you know, and he does pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You know, <laughs> But like that really actually, like as silly as that sounds, it made a difference. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm going to play bass and I'm going to sing. Okay. And, and what that did was it made it made it an easy path because back when you're a little kid, nobody even knows what a bass guitar is. Sure. They don't realize, oh, that's, they know what drums are and they know what a guitar is. Yeah. And, oh, a bass guitar. All right. All right. So I, I got, I just stumbled into these things, you know, but my mom was really instrumental in letting me know that it's actually a good thing to do something that not everybody else is doing. Okay. And that's what she meant by saying Sting that plays bass and sings, you know, he does pretty well, but most of the other people I knew play guitar. Like everybody I knew that, that, that played an instrument, played guitar. So that's why I thought I'm going to play bass. Yeah. So I picked up that guitar at six strings and I played it like a bass. Okay. I wanted to like play it like a bass. So gotcha. that, that really started me off and she, you know, she really, supported me in more ways than that. She said, when I, when I decided I want to buy a bass, she said, okay, I'll, I'll buy half. So if you save up some money, yeah. find something you want, I'll take care of the rest. So I mowed lawns for, you know, all summer or whatever it was, months and months, got 
I don't know, a hundred bucks and went to the pawn shop, Charleston pawn. Still, it's still, it still exists yeah. in Bremerton and it was 175 bucks mm-hmm. off the shelf. And that's my first basic PVT 40, heavy, heavy. I still have it. It's a beautiful instrument. And yeah, my mom, you know, she, she helped me get it going. She found me this guy that like could like teach me how to change the strings on it. Mm. And I remember even just going to this guy's house, an older, older dude, big guy. And he just had all these amps in his workshop. So like a workshop like this, but mm-hmm. just wall to wall amps, like hardly any walking room. And he would grab my, he like, I would come in and to pick up the bass cause he had it ready to go. And he'd like plug it in and be like, all right, let me test it out for you. I'll show you, you know, and he would just jam these licks and play the bass. And it sounded like the coolest thing I'd ever heard, you know? And I think those little moments really helped push me forward. And it it made things, I was just talking to Darren Doan. He's a a video maker, filmmaker, director, and he made six videos for us early in our career. And so we were just kind of reminiscing about that. And I was just like one video he made was for a song called Doing Time. Mm-hmm. And it was just our practice space, MXPX practice space at my parents' house in Bremerton, Washington. They still, right now, that place is now just our, our offices or whatever. Okay. But at the time it was a garage and everything, you know, there was cardboard boxes and tools and, you know, things yeah. hanging everywhere. And our amps, our amps were lined up. And, and as we got better equipment, it got bigger and so we'd have smaller amps up on the workbench and big amps on just sitting on the floor. And looking at that video, it just like, excuse me, it just takes me back to that day. Yeah. It takes me back to those memories, those times of developing who we were as a band and, and, and the, the sheer joy of looking around the room, the garage and seeing just like an, a little practice amp. Like yeah. we have an amp. It's so cool. Like the, the, the simple things, but, but I think all those for me, you know, being around the instruments and the amps, that made a huge difference. Yeah. And I bet also to be able to know what the bass can do, like by having someone who's skilled at playing it, you know, to be like, oh, okay, man, I'm, I'm, I can see the capacity for this instrument, right? Like that's yeah. important too. It's kind of like, again, back to skating. If you're around really good skaters, you're like, man, okay, now your brain kind of, we call this like a it's a bit of sports psychology. It's almost like if you see something that the, that the human body can do like on a playing field, then your brain says, oh, okay, it's possible. But until somebody mm-hmm. does it, you don't really know that it's possible. So in skating, it's the same way. Tricks will you know, not be made for years and years. And then once somebody makes that trick, this dude makes it. And then this person, and then, you know, yeah, right. And yeah. so same thing with music, right? Like if you're learning it and you're, you're thinking, I don't really know what this instrument can do, but then you see somebody, you know, that's skilled, it has to be just so killer to be able to say, okay, now, man, I can set my, my aspirations really cool. So yeah. it's so cool to hear about how your mom really did kind of implement some, some really cool mentoring, like into her parenting, you know, by, by broadening your community and like by finding people who can help you kind of achieve more and more by mm-hmm. getting you to that guy, you know, and it's funny, man, you described that room full of amps and like, I can smell that room. You know what I mean? Cause <laughs> yeah. I know what that, what, what all those amps smelled like having yeah. like probably played in clubs and bars and stuff. Right. Like when you go into a really cool music shop and that smell, that's so cool. So currently speaking, mm-hmm. you're, you're still touring with MXPX. Yep. You guys just had some dates recently. What's, ne- what's next for, for MXPX? We are working on new music, working on a bunch of shows that'll be happening. Build, rebuilding our team too, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, people come and go, stage people. We, yeah. need, we need to add to it as well. Okay. So definitely, 
you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, do we completely change everything or do we just build on the things that are working and, and augment that? And I think that's what we're going to do going forward. We're going to build on what's working. So did COVID give you that opportunity to kind of like hit the reset button and say like, what, what do you want to continue and, and what's assumed and what's not? I mean, in some ways I feel like everybody kind of got to, got to do that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of people. One, some bands just aren't around anymore. Right. Some bands broke up and you could say, well, they broke up because of this, but, but would they have broken up if the pandemic hadn't happened and, you know, lockdowns and, and right. everything? It's hard to say, you know, you just, but there has been a lot of turnover and a lot of people that have decided, you know, I don't want to be a tour manager anymore or a sound guy or, or this or that, or even a, a bass player. Right? right. Although I don't know why you'd quit playing bass, <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that's something that we really try to take advantage of is, you know, that you always hear about the government never, t- never lets a, a, a good crisis or catastrophe go to waste. Right. Like yeah. they always use that for something they can get power in. And I, and I feel like in the same way, but in a positive way, MXPX and a lot of people probably is outside us as well used our time, our downtime to just build, build what we couldn't do before. Because what I mean by that is we were on such a schedule show, single record an album, you know, do it again, make a video podcast, you know, of course, uh, podcasting. So like, it's hard to like get out of that rut, even if it's a good rut, it's just, you just, people are going, going, going. So this like forced everybody to stop and, that's obviously there's a lot of bad that, that went with that, but we're trying to take all the positive out of it, which is, all right, what can we make better now? You know, what, yeah. what can we fix that was broken before that we knew was not going to last. And a lot of the, a lot of what I've honestly learned over the, the last couple of years is, and I should have known this before, but nothing's going to last nothing, right? Like it right. all goes away eventually, even the, the best things in life, right. Will change will move. will hopefully get better, yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's just the reality. And so what I mean by that is like people that we thought we couldn't live without, you know, if this person quits or something happened to them, what are we going to do? And I think it's important to ask yourself those questions about every single, every single person that you, you know, <laughs> you yeah. know just in case, but that happened, you know, with more than one person in, in our, our team, you know, that we're working with us and we've been okay, yeah. you know, and I think it's just like, okay, you know, nothing, nothing really is that big of a deal as long as you're being true to yourself and sticking to what you set out to do. And of, of course, life is going to make those make changes along the way, but mid course corrections are always important as well. For sure. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. Are you still making music with tumble down? Mm. You know, tumble down was a band I did from 2007 to 2013. We're still technically together, but we're on hiatus. Okay. So eventually Yes, I would love to do more Tumble Down. And anytime I post any little thing about Tumble Down online, our few followers or, or you know fans will be like, "Is there new stuff coming? Are you doing yeah. new stuff?" Like, dang, I can't even enjoy like this. <laughs> but eventually, yeah. I mean, I've I've written a few songs already, right on. and they'll just stack up as I go. Like, it's funny because like I write for MXPX, I write for Tumble Down, I'll write for Goldfinger at times. Although Goldfinger, it's never a full song; it's always parts of songs. Okay, but and then solo songs. So like. I'll just write and just enjoy writing and then I'll, I'll push it into a different, you know, okay, this m- almost everything is a by default and it makes peak song at yeah. first because one, one day, uh, tumble down had our first record come out and there's a song on it called I'm still here. And Tom, the guitar player of MXPX, Thomas Nesky comes up. He's like, man, I'm still here. That is such a good song. He's like, next time you have a good song like that, 
it better be MXPX. Yeah, like, I mean, Cullen Dibs. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah. He's like, just like, don't put the best songs on it. You know, Tumble Down Record, come on. I'm like, okay, okay, I get it. I get it. But so I always try to like, okay, can this be an MXPX song first? Yeah. And if not, then, I mean, he's he's right. More people are going to hear an MXPX song yeah. by default. But But there are obviously styles and lyrics that are, going to suit themselves to different, different bands. Yeah. Yeah. And so solo stuff, is that going to be, you know, again, man, just the one voice, the one guitar, essentially kind of the singer songwriter approach. Sometimes. I mean, I've already, I mean, I've done a bunch of like acoustic versions of songs that I've written for MXPX and tumble down and, and released those under my name, but I've never really released a full album of, of solo songs. I've released a couple singles and they're full band singles. So yeah, I think it's going to be every, anything and everything for solo stuff and kind of the catch-all. Like if this song is too quirky or too emotion, like too weepy for MXPX yeah. or, or something, you know, I'll just do it for myself. But yeah, I mean, every time I, I think, okay, I'm going to do a solo record, something happens and I get going with something with MXPX. Yeah. So it's one of those things where I don't mind as long as whatever I'm doing is I'm happy doing. Yeah. Because years and years ago, I... I wanted to do a solo record and just never did. And I've always kind of been like, should I, should I have done, you know, something I'm like, yeah, but I'm doing MXPX. So I don't know. I've gone through different phases of trying to like separate myself from, from, you know, MXPX solo tumble down. And then sometimes it's all kind of mixed together. Mm -hmm. I think as culture changes, my, my rules change on that. So I don't let people use MXPX when, when I'm doing something like doing a, like if I'm doing a solo show, my Carrera, I don't let them say of MXPX. Gotcha. And the thought behind that is because one, MXPX is worth a lot more. And if you're not paying me for MXPX money, then don't use the name. Right, right. <laughs> but aside that from, from a psychological standpoint, you know, if you're seeing, if you're always seeing my Carrera of MXPX, you're never having to do any work of you're never having to like really think about it. And, and I want people to know my name outside of MXPX. Yeah. Like just Mike Herrera. You should know that I'm a punk rock bass player that, you know, plays in MXPX and does a podcast and, you know, and has, you know, Goldfinger or whatever, you know, whatever right. it is, but it's just, it's not just MXPX. So right. there's probably more reasons, but I mean, those are the, really the main two is psychologically people will think, oh, MXPX is playing or, or just the fact that when MXPX is really playing, they won't pay attention as much, you know, cause they've seen that name a few times yeah. Psy psychologically, subconsciously. And so, yeah, I try to play that psychological game a little bit in, in that, that I think it matters what people see and how they see things. And yeah. It, it, I think it's even more accurate, man, because here, so here's from my vantage point, man. Sure, here you are like a creative, you've been writing music for decades, right? Mm -hmm. And you've been, and that hasn't slowed down. And so what you've done over your career is you've, you've found more outlets for your music to go into. So as you've aged and as you've matured and as you've grown and had more experience, right? Like how sad would it be, man, if you just kept like going, you know, to the same well all the time and then like the irrelevance of that, right? Over time, because you, as you mentioned, like culture and stuff mm -hmm. as well. So now, man, you've kind of like amassed these opportunities for different outlets to kind of meet different needs as you, you know, are a songwriter and a performer. And so, like, as one who might want to take part of that, it's even better, man. You're giving me, like, a fuller experience as opposed to always, you know, as a listener, oh, it's, it's Mike of MXPX, you know, all the time. Like, no, man, there's, you've created more nuance and you have, you know, depending on how you feel about how you're writing a song and where kind of it goes. And that, that to me, just seems more accurate, you know? So, 
besides the psychology of that or the, you know, that it's, it's not really maybe something that you do as a ploy of like, Hey, don't, you know, don't say of MXPX, but instead it just kind of makes it make more sense to me. Mm -hmm. So I think that would, that's pretty cool. All right. So your time with Goldfinger, which by the way, man, we got to mention, you know, Superman. Okay. So like (laughs) my guess is, do you, do you think about the game? Because I can't, you know, I can't divorce that song from Tony Hawk. Right. Right. So do you think about the game when you play the song? (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) All right. That's all right, man. But you know, it's funny. Like I, I did play the game. Like I'm part of that era. I'm like yeah. that generation. Yeah. So like I grew up playing Tony Hawk pro skater and loved it. Always wanted to be on the soundtrack. And so when they redid the soundtrack, we got on the soundtrack, our new song, let's ride. Right and of course, gold, Goldfinger song is on there yeah. too. But I knew about gold. I was a fan of Goldfinger when they released their first album and they put out here in your bedroom and I loved it. I saw it on, I think I saw it on MTV, probably my buddy Don Case. He had cable. I didn't, we, I didn't grow up with cable. I grew up with like ABC, NBC, and CBS. And maybe Fox, which is now Fox, but it was like, and I guess it was Fox back then. Yeah. But it was yeah. now and again. But like we had an antenna with rabbit ears and right. the whole deal. Like my whole childhood, my whole, even teenage years until, until I was like an adult. Then they finally got cable. I was like, oh, doesn't matter to Thanks me anymore. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I saw that video here in your bedroom, John Feldman, all those guys, Charlie looking so badass with his bald head, <laughs> yeah. the guitar player. And I was a fan, like I loved it. And so years later, you know, we'd run into him a few times. We played, we opened for the Sex Pistols and Goldfinger was on their tour supporting yeah. them. So we got to initially, essentially open for the Sex Pistols and Goldfinger with MXPX. And I saw how wild those guys were. And they were, they were older than us, you know, yeah. and still are. Hey. I'm saying that even though I'm in the band, but... <laughs> But, but you know, there, there was, there was some, there was some definite like experiences, positive experiences, I would say with Goldfinger from, from, you know, the first thing I saw on MTV to like meeting them, they were always cool to us, seeing them in airports in Australia, things like that. And then randomly out of the blue, 2013, I think John called me up and said, Hey, want to go to Australia? (laughs) I'm like, okay. I mean, around 2000. Well, basically when Tumble Down was, was active, that was when the music business was in the crapper. Right. It was very, very low. Royalties weren't worth much. Touring wasn't doing well. A lot of bands were breaking up because they couldn't afford to stay together. You know, it was just a weird... Incidentally, that was after uh, Napster came out and nobody was buying albums anymore and all that. Right. And, and the record labels were very slow to modernize and adapt. So they pretty much got... They got, what is it, uh, interrupted or, or whatever. Yeah, disrupted. <laughs> disrupted, yeah, disrupted. And and so I wasn't as busy as I, I might've been. And so that opened up the opportunity to say yes and go, yeah, I'll do a tour with Goldfinger and learned all the songs in a couple of weeks mm-hmm. and flew to, flew, I actually flew down to LA, had to practice with them. And then we flew to Australia. So it was, wow. th- that was my beginning of, of you know, starting to play for Goldfinger. And then I've been playing ever since. And we've, we've gone all over the place. We've gone back to Australia. We've gone to Europe a couple of times, UK, even Russia, all over the US. So yeah, I mean, done quite a bit. I mean, all those places MXPX has been as well. So sure. It was, it was cool, but. So I'm curious about that experience though, the mm-hmm. contrast, right? Between man, MXPX, I mean, that's you, dude. Like you're responsible for so much. Mm-hmm. Does the experience, you know, even from the beginning or, or, or now with Goldfinger, is it, is there kind of like a a benefit of just not having to be responsible for as much. Instead, you're just like showing up, you know, plugging in, man, hey, I'm the bass player. I'm not having to worry about all the other factors that that come into play. It's huge. I mean, it's a huge difference. And 
as the years have gone on, I've actually kind of like found myself in a, it's weird to say this, but almost like a mentor spot in the band. Whereas I'm not the leader of the band, but, but really like we get together and I'm like kind of like maybe the voice of reason, maybe mentor isn't the right thing, but yeah. like voice of reason. I've been there before. I've, and Charlie has too. I mean, he's playing guitar, but like, sure. but like, I guess because I'm doing the business part with MXPX all the time and I'm, I do a podcast. And so it's like, there's more going on than just me showing up as the bass player of yeah. Goldfinger. That kind of gives me, I don't know, a little bit perspective, of perspective, right? Perspe- yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe, yeah, that's what it is. But, but it's been, it's been interesting. It's been really fun to not have to make all those decisions, not yeah. have to like, all right, why are you guys late again? Like, eh, they're late. I'm, <laughs> I'm still going to be able to play my show and do, you know. For sure. Yeah. So yeah, man. In, a, in a lot of ways, it probably isn't a good thing, but it makes me go, well, do I need to be so on it with MXPX? Can I slack off a little mm-hmm. bit and chill? And in some ways, yeah. I mean, like, in some ways, I know that my business partner, Tom Tuchilla, doesn't want me to do too much. Sure. But at the same time, appreciates it when I help out and when I'm on it, you know? So it's yeah. like, it's a, it's a dichotomy for sure. And I mean, that's life. Sure. Think, things are, things are good and bad. And we all, we can't always see the the peripheral effects that, that our decisions make. For sure. Yeah. For sure. All right. So equipment wise, mm-hmm. you've pretty much always been a music man guy. The, uh, yeah. Ernie Ball music man. That was the base. When I went to my first punk show, that was not local. It was in Seattle. It was all, and it was at the OK Hotel, all the band. And I was just such a huge fan, but those are in the days where you didn't know what anybody looked like. Mm-hmm. And so the opening band or the support band, My Name, or Big Drill Car, Big Drill Car, My Name, they both played, but one of those guys was playing a, a music band. And I was like, that is so cool. And I thought it was all, I thought it was the headlining band because literally my first right. punk show. Right. And so I told myself, I'm going to get one of those bases. And then they, they got done and then the, all starts setting up to play. I'm like, wait, that's not the, <laughs> all right. Well, I still like that bass. Yeah. And I ended up mowing a bunch of lawns, put, put that sucker on layaway at American Music in Tacoma, Washington, which is like 40 minutes from where I live. And uh, finally got it. We were already playing shows. Like I said, I had that PVT 40. We're playing shows. I remember at the Silverdale Community Center, we had a headlining show. The place was packed. And that's the place where I went to the uh, skate comp and all yeah. that, like in Silverdale. So here we are. I bring my new bass that I finally got out of, out of layaway. And I think that thing cost, I don't know, about a thousand bucks, like okay. nine, 900 to a thousand bucks, which was insane for, for at the time. Yeah. I mean, that's a real rig, right? Yeah. And I got the bass and I tried to play it. I played it at the show. I, I mean, I brought it, I played it and it was so awkward because when you go from one base to another, when you're not really that good, you know, I, I didn't, I was like, oh, the strings were too low. The strings were like super low, the action. Okay. I didn't know what action was back right. then, but you can actually raise your strings off of the fretboard a little bit and it'll be more solid, less clacky, right. less clacky sounding. And so there was just a lot of, a lot of learning curves that I had not known yet, but I, I ended up putting, I played with my fingers at the time. Now I play with a pick, but I ended up putting a, um, I made a little chunk of wood, like I cut a chunk of wood and then I drilled it into my, my pick, pick guard, guard. Okay. and right above in the middle above the strings. And so I could rest my thumb right on it. Did your first base have that? My first base had a pickup that was bigger. Like a, the pickup was like so big 
the casing of the pickup okay. that I could just stick my thumb there. Okay. And at this point I had already, I was already taking lessons. I, I took like six months of bass lessons and that's what, you know, Tim, Tim Birch, great guy. Yeah. He taught me, you know, not just how to play, but like where to rest your thumb or you could do it here or here, or if you don't want to rest your thumb, you don't have to, if it's, you know, things like that. Yeah. You know? But I just remember bringing that music man to that first show and it being so awkward, but I was so, it's like wearing brand new shoes out of the store. You're so proud of that. You know thing, what I mean? Man. Yeah. He's like, you're going to get blisters because you're going, you know, you don't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So that was the vibe is, is I was so excited and I've never looked back. I've, I've played actually, well, technically I wasn't sponsored by Ernie Ball then. So I bought that bass, okay. used it. I ended up buying a, a P, a Fender P bass because Steve Kravak, our producer, who I would say was definitely a mentor musically, got me into some of my favorite artists still mm -hmm. to date and taught me a lot about how to play how to attack the instrument. But he was like, you got to get a Fender P bass. I mean, that is rock and roll. That's rock and roll. I'm like, oh, okay. So I got one and he was right. It sounded amazing. I used it on a bunch of records, yeah. but I took it to Europe in 1997 with Bad Religion and played it on the tour. And when I got back from that tour, I decided, I don't think this is right for me. Like I like playing the P bass just in my room or just recording or whatever, but I don't, I don't really like the feel of playing it live. It's just got the balance of it is kind of strange. And from then on, you know, from there, I just decided I'm, I'm going back to my Ernie ball. I'm going to get another, you know, I got another Ernie ball bass. Yeah. And then from there, I think, I don't know who did it. JJ, JJ is our, was our, one of our first roadies, but either JJ or maybe our manager at the time got us probably our manager got us hooked up with Ernie ball. Gotcha. And, and then from there on, I mean, we got free strings, free mm -hmm. accessories, free everything, free basses, free guitars if we wanted. And then they started making us custom, or making me custom basses. Yeah. So at, at one point I was getting these like sparkly painted basses that no one else had. They didn't sell them in the store. So yeah, everything like, was custom. Yeah. And, and then I had them do the electronics custom, which for me, I did this because my buddy Stefan did this. Stefan Edgerton from The Descendants. He actually worked with worked for us as our stage guy and monitor guy for a couple tours, and I learned a lot from him too. You know, but he he was like, man, just having that plug straight into the pickup, no one can mess with your knobs. I'm like, that's what I've been missing because like I would always I would always like hit the volume knob somehow, yeah, and and it would change the tone. And so once I once Ernie Ball said, sure, we'll make your whatever you want, just let us know, we'll make those and send them out. I had had them basically wire the pickup straight to the jack and bypass the volume, bypass the tone yeah. knobs. And that I actually made it passive as well because Ernie Ball Stingrays are active pickups. Yeah. So there's a little nine volt battery that goes in the back of the bass. My basses don't have a battery. They're just empty. Gotcha. So, yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time I got some Fender lace sensors pickups yeah. for my Mexican Strat, man. And I was like, yeah, same Makes thing, all the like difference. a nine volt, you know? Yeah. Cause I wanted to have Eric Clapton's Blackie, but that's for another conversation altogether. I got to mention though, real, real quick, now, years later, in 2020, we finally released an actual Mike Herrera artist series. Signature. Signature. Stingray. Yeah. Is that right? It's a Stingray, yeah. That's killer. It's the exact, it's, I sent my favorite Stingray back to them. Okay. And they, they weighed, measured, did the exact same, you know, it's a maple neck. Yeah. All, like, everything's exactly the same. So right. people, and we know it, people can go buy it. We know we can see this base. Is it because it, does it have the MXPX logo? It, well, so of them? yeah, the pit guard has an etched Poconacha punk head, right? So it's not a sticker; it's actually okay. etched into it. 
And then it's got the back bolt plate where it bolts the neck to the body is a custom plate that has my signature on it. Awesome. And then it has like the Ernie Balls, you know. Cool, man. And then, and then I think on the, on the back of the head stock, there's a little signature okay. as well. Yeah. Okay. Now, wait, did you bring one of those today? I didn't, I didn't see you bring I didn't, that. I didn't have one with oh, me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, dude. So, you know, the trinity of skating, like music and art, they're kind of like, for me, I realized that like with Thrasher magazine, I don't know if you, if that was your, if you oh, yeah. would get Thrasher back in oh, the yeah. day too. Right. But it was like, man, skating. And they had such an emphasis on skate rock as well. And obviously, man, just because graphics skating is all about graphics in nature. Mm-hmm. And that still remains today, man. I love that about skaters. Like we can go to the park now and, you know, dudes are probably listening to music in their in earbuds. And certainly, you know, they're going to want to talk about bands and, and mm-hmm. music. So you just mentioned him the MXPX mascot for those who wouldn't know. Yeah. 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 Tell me about like, did you know that this was, you know, was this, was this a process? Did someone just kind of come up with it? But I mean, that, that has now been iconic with the band and it makes so much sense because it relates so well to like a skate company they would kind of have the same thing, but tell us about like when that originated and did you know that like that would be the face of, of that band? Yeah. You know, so it's, it's funny because I think a lot of a lot of my decisions and the things that I learned growing up and still today, probably the same way is I learn things and I don't realize I learned them, you know? So like, yeah. so I make the right decisions, not super, super consciously, but I do make the right decisions because of probably my experiences in the past. And I think the Poconetcha Punk is one of those. Skateboarding, I was into that. I was, I was, I didn't have any tattoos yet. And we were working on Poconetcha, our first album. And we wanted the artwork to be iconic. You know, and I knew that. I was like, it's our first album. It's called Poking At You. <laughs> yeah. And and so Brandon Ebel from Tooth and Nail Records is like, okay, we found we got this artist. So he he did our he did the Tooth and Nail logo. He's really great. His name's John Nissen. He's in Portland, Oregon. And he skates Burnside every weekend. I don't know if you can say <laughs> that, but but he was part of that culture, you know, he's into that, yeah, into music and skateboarding and all that. And so John starts, you know, working on an idea. We're like, we want a punk guy, you know. I don't really know what else. Yeah. You know, say MXPX with a punk guy. And he drew a, a guy that resembled, to me, resembled the circle jerk skank. Okay. Skank punk. Yeah. And so he was like really skanky and he had like boots on and he looked kind of mean. He, yeah. He, he kind of like mean. He was bald. And, you know, I was like, you know, this just doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel like us. It doesn't feel like, which is crazy for me to say that because- there's so many times where I've been like, ah, it's all right. Okay. All right. Let's just take it. I don't want to yeah. hassle with it, you know? Yeah. But like, I just, I just knew that this wasn't quite right. And I, and I said, can you make it more cartoony, more, more happy, more young? And the next sketch was the sketch of the Poconetcha Punk, the running punk, which is the yeah. guy I got tattooed. I got him tattooed based off the sketch of the album cover, not the final artwork. Okay. And I was like, this is it, dude. This is it. Yes. This is the <laughs> album. And Brandon was like, yeah, we like it too, you know? And so I went down and got tattooed at 17. Wait, was that your first? 17. It was my second tattoo, okay, I think. Okay. But yeah, yeah, it was luck maybe. Yeah. But like I say, like I didn't, I don't remember consciously going, no, it'll, it'll do better if it's, it was just more of a personal, like, <laughs> sure. no, I want it to be happier, you know? Yeah, man. But realizing that now it's like, no, it made, it was so much better now than yeah. it was. And years and years and years later, I saw what I'm pretty sure was the very first sketch that was rejected, get reused for a record label in Portland. Somebody that knows people that I kind of know from yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, I bet they just, re- I mean, sure. Why not? 
Why not? It's been shelved since then. Huh? Yeah, yeah. It's not really the same thing. It's a person. It's oh, like, man. You know, but. Dude, that's cool. Yeah. Well, again, man, like good art is that's, good art. And I love been, that it stays, stays relevant and stays yeah. just cool looking, never dated. All right, man. So, so the heart of this conversation, we are who we spend time with, right? And like what we expose ourselves to. People of influence are certainly influenced by other people of influence. However, we've also really been shaped and encouraged by people who invested in us on a deeper level. And, you know, you've talked about that already, right? With your mother and, and your manager. Sure. Perhaps. These people <laughs> who, who really kind yeah. of invested in you, right? Spend time with you on a deeper level. You know, I want to hear, is there maybe anybody else that you might would just share their story? Because this conversation is with people like yourself of influence and artists, musicians, writers, skaters and creatives who can show the importance of mentorship by, by really like casting a spotlight on the behind the scenes people, people who have margin in their life to give to others, right? Who've kind of practiced like the art of, of holding the spotlight on other people, which is what I would kind of say what a mentor does, right? It's mm-hmm. somebody who, who says through their time spent and just like words of affirmation and, and investment over time. So is there anybody else who you feel like Mike is like kind of been an unsung hero in your life? Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of people and, and there's no, there's no like big events that I can think of, but it's like a lot of vignettes in yeah. my life. So, I mean, they may have been big for then, but like overall, it kind of like, it just fits into the pieces that stack up to be my life, I guess. So like I was saying, my parents really got me going, but like you were saying, when my mom introduced me to people that could like introduce me to music or this or that, like yeah. that, that really never stopped happening. I, I met this guy, Ben, who was in a local band and started going to his band practice and realizing, oh, you can just like start a band, you know? And, and that really, that was huge, huge in getting me to just try something, right? Yeah. As far as people, let's see. Early, early on, I played soccer. My coach, John Bodie, he was a special one. He he took care of everybody. He mentored everybody. There was, most of the kids were from poor, you know, poor families. There was even some immigrants and, and that were on my team. And I just remember it being like a really, like almost like, you know what, we're the outcasts, we're the underdogs. All the teams we played were always, had really nice uniforms and, and this and that. And, and so it was like, I felt like I was in a movie. Maybe not at the time, but like looking back, it was like, no, we were kind of like in the Bad News that Bears. Bad News Bears, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he always had the best speeches and like would like get us <laughs> pumped up. So that was sort of like early, early on in playing yeah. team sports and, um, you know, meeting some of my friends that I would go on to. Like there's one guy I still know. I, he's like my best friend and we hang out all the time. And we met in soccer. So mm. it, it's, and he, it's funny, you know, he, we're nothing alike. He's a Vietnamese. He came over as a, as a refugee and his family escaped the, the I want to say it was the very end of the war. It was early eighties when he yeah. came over. So, well, so the war was definitely not going on. So I, I don't know what it was. It was uh, the Korean war or something, but mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So it wasn't like during the Vietnam War. Yeah, but, definitely after World War was, II, yeah, right? Yeah, I think so. But it's just funny because like we've become friends again. I wasn't even mm. actually, he wasn't on my list of mentors, but it's funny to think of like somebody that could be your best friend as a mentor. But I think it's somebody that for him, it was like, I was inspired by what he did with his life. And he grew up super poor, even in America, but now he's, everything's fine. Everything's good, you know? So yeah. it's like, and- he has the amount of energy, like so much energy. I'm just like, oh my gosh. So that, that all came from soccer. Like we, hmm. we grew up soccer and I would say sports in general has been a good mentor for me. Back to wrestling, I learned how to train. I learned how to put my body and myself through mental and physical un, you know, uncomfortable situations, yeah. losing weight, 
putting on the putting on the hoodie, getting on the the bike, and just mm-hmm. like go on, go on, go on. I did that. That was like ninth grade, and and I I wouldn't want to do that again, of course. But <laughs> but but I think those things kind of prepared me for punk rock and prepared me for going out on the road and being cold, hot, sick, tired, whatever it is, yeah. discouraged. You just you never give up. You keep going and you eventually always get to the city that you need to play a show in, yeah. play a show. So sports early on. So that was John Bodie was great. And then once I got into punk rock, you know, there was different people that, that kind of helped us out along the way. This guy, Corey Kirkham, he was a youth pastor. He really tried to like, I don't know, just keep us talking. Keep talking, you know, let's talk. Let's like talk as about a band? life as a band, as like, cause we all knew him. We all hung out. Yeah. He would keep us, not keep us. He would, he would ask us harder questions, questions that you know, you're not going to get from a teacher necessarily because it's it's life questions. So, somebody that maybe a counselor might ask or okay. something, you know. But Just kind of challenge you to be thinking a little bit deeper about yeah. bigger things in yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. So Corey Kirkham, he, he was one. But that was like, also, now that I really think about it, it was like a small sliver of life. You know, he was there for a time when we were, we were really busy going out on tour and then we'd come back and hang out with him or whatever. But yeah. Everything was such a whirlwind when we really started touring that it was hard to... It was hard to like really sit back and think about things, you know? Sure. And so I think that was really good for us. And then, you know, fast forwarding, we met Tommy Rat, who became our tour manager slash sound guy for many years, ended up managing us for a while as well. And the reason I mentioned him, he was definitely a mentor because he would teach us new things constantly. And, and we had a, he was older than us, but we had a really comfortable relationship. We could make fun of them. We could, yeah. you know, that kind of relationship. But he really taught us how to hustle. He taught us, he taught us that, you know, one, don't worry about what other people are doing. Again, you need, need those reminders. So yeah. I'd probably forgotten that, what my mom had taught me, right? Yeah. And Tommy Rat really, you know, he had experience in the army. And so we'd be like, hey, teach us the dead man carry. <laughs> so one day we're like on the, we had the bus, we had a day off. We went to a movie. See, on when you're on tour, in America and you're a young punk band, you don't, when you have a day off, what do you do? You like, let's go to the mall. Let's go to a movie. Let's go to an arcade or something, right, you know? Right. So we'd have the bus pull over in a, in a restaurant parking lot. We'd go eat and then we'd go to a movie. And this is one of those days. We're just hanging out together yeah. in a parking lot. And there's like this, you know, just strip of grass. Tommy, teach us the dead man carry, which is like, you know, the army guys pick somebody up and carry them in the battlefield. And so I just remember the, one of the best times was just all of us trying to pick each other up. (laughs) (laughs) And we tried to pick up Tommy, which is, he's a big guy. Nobody could get it. But yeah, just like having, I think because we started out so young, having some, some of those, I guess you could say father figures, but it's not like they treated us like, you know, we were kids. They treated, maybe we were kids, but they didn't treat us like they were the dad. It was just, it was because they were older and they knew so much more. So that, that relationship with Tommy and the, another reason why I even bring him up is because I was just watching a video the other day, the MXPX YouTube. I somehow was, I was checking on something and I got onto a, a rabbit. I'm like, what was this? I forgot mm-hmm. this. And I clicked on the video and it was us in Indonesia at the end of a tour. And Tommy rats there and he's like, we're done with the tour, baby. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to eat over here. And we're at a restaurant next to a pool and nobody else was around. It was like kind of at night. And he's like, He's like, watch this. And he jumps in the pool and he's like, I'm going to eat right here. <laughs> and the, the waitress comes up and he's like, hey, do people eat here? Do people just eat like this? And she's like, yeah. Like she didn't really speak English yeah. too much. <laughs> so just like that, those kinds of 
those kinds of situations, like I love that. Like that's not me, you know, like I'm not that type of personality. Like, sure, I'll jump in the pool or whatever, but like, I'm not the type of person that wants to make things wild for a server or like go out of the norm and like, but maybe I should be, you know, like maybe there's nothing wrong with that. And so like Tommy is the type of person that really shows me that we're all different and we're all beautiful. For sure. And and you're right, dude. I think you hit the nail on the head, dude. Just because mentors, it's not about, you know, yeah, this person spoke into my life for eight years or something. You kind of get what you get, you know, in a certain season for however long from people. And, and man, that's how we're blessed. And like, that's how we're reminded, hey, life is short. And so, you know, maybe we do need to jump in the pool, pool a little bit more yeah. often, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, and that's, that's the work of the mentor right there, man. Just like people living their life out loud. And then it reminds us, dude, mm-hmm. we can do that too, you know? That's why example is so important. Like if you're, if you're like whining around your kids or yeah, if you don't have kids, sorry, but whining around people, you know, it's like, it's so easy to be whiny because there's so many things to complain about. Right. Yeah. But, but like that teaches your kids something yeah, not something good. For sure. So for sure. That's man. probably my biggest thing to try to be better at you know, yeah. is, is make sure I'm not complaining or doing anything like that. Yeah. Period. But also in front of people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mike, you hit on some really good stuff, man. Thanks for sitting down today and talking about perspective and just kind of sharing from experience and all the years that you've been doing what you've been doing. So thank you. Thank you for that. And we like to say thanks to those who invested in you, you know, who made it possible for you to make music for so long and, and to be affecting so many as you have. So what a gift. Thanks for sitting down with Dude, us today. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. You're my next mentor. Right you're on. That, you're that kind of personality where, I mean, honestly, the older, it doesn't matter how old I get, I still need somebody to bounce ideas off of, somebody to open me up to new things. Right on. Yeah. Well, again, that's so smart and that's true. Like we never stop learning. We don't because as soon as we think we have something mastered, we're going to be the most annoying person in the room. Right. So yes, I will be your mentor. You guys heard it here first. I I think I'm moving to uh, Washington pretty soon. And (laughs) after I get that base and uh, actually right now, me and Mike are going to go skate that half pipe. Would you, could you drop in on that forefoot right now? Let's just be honest. No problem. I, I believe it. I believe it. I think I might struggle. I haven't skated in about a week and a half. Just got to stretch out a little bit. (laughs) Well, there you have it. That was an excellent conversation. I want to thank Mike for being a part of this interview. And just to remind our listeners, hey, The work of the the mentor is not always easy. There are not often, if ever, instant results. But instead, we put in the time, we share out of our margin wisdom and give of ourselves. We listen, we uh, pray for, and we just really are pulling for our mentees. And so thank you for the work that you do. And thank you for how you serve in that way. And we want to remind you here that you can mentor.